Hello, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of New England on a Pedestal. I am your host, Doug Farquharson. We purposefully design each episode of our podcast to be a standalone chapter in the story of New England, as told through its many and varied statues, monuments, and sculptures. And we hope that once you have heard one of our podcasts, that you'll be inspired to take a listen to our other episodes. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast platform and consider leaving a review for us. It will help us reach more listeners and expand our audience. Thank you. Speaking of listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Like and follow our Facebook page. Subscribe to us over at Instagram. We put up photos, links, and other interesting tidbits over there on our social media pages. You can contact us through those platforms or email us at newenglandonapedestal at farkey.com. That's newenglandonapedestal, all one word, at F-A-R-Q-I-E dot com. Reach out to us if you have a favorite statue that you think we should know about. We are always looking to add to our ever-growing database. We started off two episodes ago in Hopkinton, Massachusetts, discussing a local legend known around town as the first citizen of sport. From there, we journeyed roughly 85 miles to the New Hampshire coastal city of Portsmouth, where we met a few bronze firefighters, one vintage, one modern, and one, well, a bit rusty, you might say. Since it was a beautiful day and the Jeep was all opened up, we decided to keep driving up the New England coastline a bit and head to another favorite city of ours, Portland, Maine. The state of Maine is known for several things. A long and beautiful coastline with hundreds of islands, harbors, and inlets. Gorgeous inland waterways, lakes, ponds, and rivers. Majestic mountains, great fishing, hunting, hiking, skiing, and so much more. But virtually synonymous with Maine is the lobster and the industry that has made the Maine lobster world-renowned. So it makes sense that we find ourselves in Portland searching out the Maine lobstermen. And along the way, we discovered an interesting little story. The Maine Lobsterman in Portland, Maine. When I was working on the beginnings of this podcast idea, I recall the day several years ago when I was walking around Portland, Maine, iced coffee in hand, while members of my family were off doing some shopping after we had enjoyed lunch in Old Port along the waterfront. We said we would meet up by a movie theater where there was a small park. I found myself sitting under a shade tree and looking at a statue. At the time, I thought it was interesting in an offhand way and didn't really pay much attention to it. I was more interested in enjoying the talent of a local street musician. One by one, the fam arrived. I dropped a couple of bucks into the open guitar case and we ambled off. That was the last time I saw the main lobster man. Of course, in the preparation for this episode, I stopped by what I now know to be Lobsterman Park again. It was a warm August day, around lunch, when I drove up Middle Street towards Temple Street and luckily found the parking spot just feet away from my destination. Unfortunately, 
It was a drop-off pickup location with only a 15-minute time limit, and a member of the Portland Parking Enforcement was issuing tickets across the street from me, so I'd have to be quick about this. Lobsterman Park sits at the intersection of Middle, Spring, Temple, and Union Streets. The movie theater I remembered was still there. I think Suicide Squad was playing. I didn't really have any interest in seeing it. Seems to me they had just made that movie not so long ago. Why remake it so soon? Wait, sorry, sorry. Got distracted there for a moment. That is an entirely different podcast done by an entirely different people. Okay. Back on track here and back to my quick visit to Lobsterman Park. The park, like the surrounding streetscape, is a mix of red brick and concrete paths. I'd say it covers perhaps a quarter of an acre, maybe a little bit less. Nevertheless, it's big enough for some large trees to provide some much appreciated shade for the several benches that form sort of an arc around the slightly off-centered statue. It's a nice spot to sit and rest a bit or enjoy a takeout meal from one of the many shops nearby. I find Portland to be a friendly city. For example, about half a dozen parking spots are at the corner, and they're specifically for motorcycles and scooters. The statue faces the intersection. It sits in the center of a large cobblestone circle raised up on a circular slab of concrete. It's not quite the same height as the benches in the park, but it does make for a nice place to sit and have lunch. In the center of the slab is a rectangular granite block on which the bronze figure sits. The statue depicts a working lobsterman kneeling on one knee. His shirt sleeves are rolled up and he's wearing boots that come up to his knees. At his feet is a lobster that he's pegging, which is how their claws were kept shut before today's rubber bands came into use. This is the main lobsterman. The plaque attached to him says it's him. The park is named after him. So this must be him, right? However, I came to learn while researching this episode, this particular statue is only one of the main lobstermen. There are a couple of others, and one of them isn't even in the state of Maine. This, then, is the story of how that came to be. We must travel back to the 1939 New York World's Fair. Leading up to it, the state of Maine had commissioned a prominent Portland sculptor, Victor Cahill, to design and produce a centerpiece for the main exhibit at the upcoming fair. Cahill went to work, and he had H. Elroy Johnson from Bailey Island pose for him. We will focus more on Johnson later. Cahill had gotten as far as making a full-size plaster model of his sculpture when a big problem reared its ugly head. It was estimated that approximately $10,000 was needed for a large bronze statue. That would come out to around $200,000 in today's economy. Unfortunately, only about $1,500 had been raised. So, Cahill simply painted his plaster model bronze, and that is what is displayed at the New York World's Fair. Eventually, the statue was returned to Maine and was displayed for a time at the old Columbia Hotel on Congress Street, and then in the rotunda of Portland City Hall. However, 
Starting sometime in 1943 and several times after that, vandals damaged it. I guess, even in the good old days, there were dinks, malcontents, and ne'er-do-wells. Anyway, it was repaired each time, and in 1958 it was put on display in the Department of Sea and Shore Fisheries Marine Museum and Aquarium in Booth Bay Harbor to better preserve it. Eventually, it was moved into a warehouse, and there it sat for quite some time. It has been taken out of mothballs a few times, more recently to be displayed in Augusta at the Maine State Museum. I believe it is currently in storage at the museum. Victor Cahill emigrated to the United States from his native Lebanon in 1909 and was raised and educated in Portland. He studied art here and then made his living as an artist, doing well enough to bring his brother Joseph over some years later. Victor was a veteran of World War I, having fought for his new country. He died in 1965 in San Francisco. Joseph, his brother, would be tapped years later to make the repairs to the plaster model after the vandals had damaged it. So, who was H. Elroy Johnson anyway? And why was he used as Cahill's model? Johnson, also known as Snooty, was born in Harpswell, Maine, on Bailey Island, in 1894. A story has been related about him that, at just 10 years old, he put out 15 lobster traps one summer, all on his own, without any help from his fisherman father. When he opened his cigar box savings bank that fall, he had earned an astounding $45 and asked his parents for permission to buy his own winter clothing. At 71, Snooty was still running 400 traps. He died in 1973 at 79 years of age and had fished for most of those. He even built his own wooden traps. Not only did he go after lobster, but he was also into sardining and sword fishing and worked both large and small vessels. Johnson has been described by many to be the typical working lobsterman in his appearance and in his practice. He was also an eloquent and colorful speaker with a thick Maine accent. It is said he had a dry sense of humor and a quick wit, all of which lent itself to his becoming a frequent visitor to the Maine State House in Augusta, where he was a steadfast advocate for Maine's working fishermen and lobstermen. Johnson spent his entire life working the sea one way or another. He was a pioneer in commercial harvesting of sea moss. He worked for and with various state marine departments and development commissions. Johnson was a natural choice to be the model for the Maine lobsterman. Cahill did take some artistic license when having Snooty pose for him, even though it is far more typical for a lobsterman to be standing while pegging his catch. Cahill insisted he kneel, saying it was more statuesque. Still, lobstermen in general are okay with it. They feel it depicts the hard work of the industry in a positive manner. Many lobstermen, however, were very upset that his dog, Bruin, wasn't included in the later renditions of the statue. At the unveiling in Portland, Bruin received an actual lobstering license from the state. So far, we have pretty much only discussed a painted plaster statue. 
And New England on a pedestal is all about the bronze and granite and metal statues, aren't we? <laughs> and earlier, I mentioned something about there being more than one lobster man. So, how do we get there? Well, we move from the 30s and 40s to the 1970s. After Johnson died, the state legislature came up with the funding to cast three bronze versions of Cahill's sculpture. In 1975, Norman Theron used the original plastic cast at the Booth Bay Foundry to cast the three new versions of the lobsterman. One of these is the one in Portland. One is on display at the end of Bailey Island, Snooty's birthplace. And one, thanks to funds raised by the Campfire Girls of Cundy's Harbor, is on display in Washington, D.C. on Main Avenue. Historian and Professor Herb Adams of the Southern Maine Community College said, In essence, one lobster man became four lobstermen and now represents all lobstermen, which I think he would like. The Public Art Portland website is quoted as saying, The Maine lobsterman epitomizes the spirit of the pine tree state, embodying its fierce independence and its historic ties to the sea. The figure is at a combination of physical power and well-seasoned finesse. His strength towers not above, but among us. The sculpture is a standout work, handsome and composed. Moreover, the subject perfectly underscores Portland's role as Maine's leading city and helps this well-sighted work deliver a fantastic sense of place. And thus concludes The Maine Lobsterman, Season 1, Episode 3 of New England on a Pedestal. We came to Portland to find one statue and came away with four, albeit versions of the same one. We learned about one real-life lobsterman and in the process memorialized all Maine lobstermen, fishermen, and people who make their living from the sea. I came across several other statues and memorials in Portland that will have to go into the database and be researched for later episodes. And all this lobster talk has made me hungry. Once considered nothing more than prisoner food, lobster sure has come a long way. If you're in Portland and want some, but don't feel like ripping into one and getting all messy, may I suggest High Rollers on Exchange Street. Our usual disclaimer goes here stating that we are not sponsored by High Rollers, but we sure do love them. Great selection of main brewed beers and a personal menu favorite is the Surf and Turk Burger. And for something fun, go for the Fried Lobby Pop. As mentioned before, the concept behind New England on a Pedestal is rather simple. Travel around our six-state area, find some interesting statues, and discuss them. We have a growing database of statues, monuments, and sculptures that we will be covering over time but we certainly do not know all of them. That is where you can assist us. Shoot us an email at newenglandonapedestal at farky.com and tell us about a favorite or unique or odd statue that you know. If you have additional information, or maybe a correction, about something that we have already shared, please send it our way and perhaps we will add an addendum to a later episode. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think. What are we doing right? What can we do better? Let us know of a statue with a story near and dear to you. 
We can be reached via email at New England on a Pedestal at Faki.com. That's New England on a Pedestal, all one word, at F-A-R-Q-I-E.com. Go to Facebook and like the New England on a Pedestal page. Follow us on Instagram. We will be posting photos and links on those social media platforms and on the New England on a Pedestal page at Faki.com as well. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of people to produce something like these podcasts. I want to acknowledge the equipment help from Alec of Hello Generic Video Fame and the social media savvy and marketing help from Becca over at the Happy Pixie Dust Podcast. The New England on a Pedestal logo was designed by Natick artist Jason Cheeseman Meyer. The theme music is by local musician Sam Checkaway and was recorded, mixed, and mastered by Jake Checkaway of Honest Face Records. I want to thank my wife Gail. Ethan, Stephanie, and Max for their help and support in getting this podcast up and running. Join us next episode when we venture south to another New England coastal town and discover some fun and whimsical pieces in Newport, Rhode Island. Until next time, be safe, be well, and keep discovering. Thanks for joining us.